everyone. Yeah, my name is Sean. I'm one of the uh, elders here at the church. Uh, most of you here know me, uh, but you know, uh, it's been like months since I've preached. And in fact, the past few month, uh, months, I have been like very like sparse in attendance. You may have noticed. Uh, and that's because uh, I, I was, so I was on staff um, you know, as an executive pastor, and then I moved on to this chaplaincy that I'm doing. And in that, in that work, I've had for some on calls, and then also because I'm no longer on staff and my wife is like a children's director, so if our kids get sick, it's me who stays home with them now. Uh, and then we've had a couple vacations. So it's been like weird to not be as present. I kind of hate it. Um, but when you have four kids, like, it, and they're in school, all it's like it just rotates the sickness. Anyway, so it's been kind of kind of crazy, um, and it's been months since I've preached. And so I am so glad to be back and to be able to share with you guys some stuff that God has put on my heart. I believe from uh, from His Word, and um, you know, Josh asked me if I could preach, and um, he was like, "Man, we need the best in the biz," you know, and. Uh, I need you to come out of retirement. And like, I told you I've been retired for years, you know, and I'm done. Uh, and, but he wooed me in, uh, you know, so no, I'm, I'm happy to be back. It's been, uh, it's been good as I've been preparing this and God's kind of been working on my heart. So, um, we've been in this Advent series, uh, Weary World Rejoices and, uh, kind of working through this idea of the coming of the Messiah. And, uh, and today we're going to be diving into the incarnation, before we do, I would like to just go ahead and pray, um, prepare our hearts and our minds. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for what you are teaching us and the ways that you are growing us. I pray today that you would speak through me, uh, that you're, you would breathe upon my words, and uh, that there would be your spirit working on the hearts of people out here. God, you're already at work in their hearts. I'm just here to meet with you and join you in this ministry. And so I pray that we would all be moved and changed today, whether it's by words that I say or whether it's uh, simply through uh, internal movement of the Holy Spirit, something going on in them that just resonates. Thank you uh, for the incarnation. Thank you for your coming. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, I'm going to start with it. There's a story that I found online, and I, I thought it was applicable, but I, it doesn't have a source, so I couldn't find a source. So forgive me for that. But it, go, it says this. Long ago, there ruled a, in, in Persia a wise and good king. He loved his people. He wanted to know how they lived. He wanted to know about their hardships. Often he dressed in the clothes of a working man or a beggar and went uh, to the homes of the poor. No one whom he visited thought that he was their ruler. One time he visited a very poor man who lived in a cellar. He ate the coarse food the poor man ate. He spoke cheerful, kind words to him, and then he left. Later he visited the poor man again and disclosed his identity by saying, I'm your king. Uh, the king thought the man would surely ask for some gift or favor, but he didn't. Instead he said, you left your, uh, your palace and your glory to visit me in this dark, dreary place. You ate the coarse food I ate. You brought gladness to my heart. To others, you have given your rich gifts. To me, you have given yourself. The King of glory, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
gave himself to you and me. And, and 2 Corinthians 9.15 calls him the unspeakable gift, you know. Jesus is, is like this king who comes to dwell with us. This is what the incarnation is about. The incarnation is about this God who uh, crosses the infinite gap of transcendence. Like, he is so far beyond us, you will never reach, there is no way to reach this God. And yet, so he becomes so intimate. And in Christ, he crosses the gap and becomes fully human. And somehow, he's fully 100% human and 100% divine. And, and this, is, this beautiful unity uh, begins to change things. This is a gift that he gives to us, the gift of himself, God. And it really is the, the greatest gift. And so I'm titling our sermon The Greatest Gift, by the way. I'm trying to keep it in crisp. By the way, today's going to be super cheesy. I've got three C's for you. I've got The Greatest Gift. We're t keeping it Christmassy, you know, whatever. Uh, hopefully, you got, hopefully it's helpful. We'll see. Uh, but, the, but as we talk about the gift of Jesus, the gift of the incarnation, we begin to – I, I think I see three things in the incarnation, three gifts that are offered through the incarnation. I'm – I'm sure there are a million others that we could talk about, but I'm going to focus on these three. And the three are, these three C's are uh, the gift of uh, communion, the gift of compassion, and the gift of calling. The gift of communion, of compassion, and of calling. So we're going to jump right in. By the way, I'll be cherry picking a little bit. Like we had our main passage because that really reflects the idea of what Jesus did very clearly and easily. The word of God, God becoming flesh, you know, like that's really helpful. Uh, but I'm going to, each point is going to have different verses. So forgive me for not doing a like verse by verse uh, thing that I like to do those. But like today we're going to do something a little different. So uh, John 1 and 1 through, 1 through 5 and then 14 again. We're going to read this one more time. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was, God, he was with God in the beginning. And all things were created through him. And apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness, or, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. And then verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. We get this narrative about this divine word. The Lagos, this reality that is God, and then somehow becoming flesh, taking on human flesh. And this verse, John 1, really re has this reflection. It points us back to Genesis 1 when it says, in the beginning, it calls to mind Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and, word, and, God, and, and in the beginning, God is creating, and here it is through Christ that things are being created. Through the word, things are being created. So there's this clear, John is trying to clearly point us back to Genesis 1 and say there's something about this, this uh, Jesus that is the incarnation, that is the, the, uh, the, the, that God that was creating and through whom all things were created here on this earth. He wants to make that as clear as he can. So we have this story of God who a God who creates everything, but the story continues in Genesis three, right, uh, where there's a fall. And initially, God is in perfect communion with them. He has he's walking around with them in the garden, right? Like he's he's there with them in in you know meeting with them, talking with them. And 
there's perfect communion in the garden. And then in, in Genesis 3, these humans decide that they would like to understand good and evil for themselves in their own ways, be able to define it on their own. And they kind of like, peace out, we're going to do it on our own. They do their own thing, right? And this causes a break in that relationship. That communion, that perfect union between God and humanity is, is, is broken. It's, it's severed. And it's when that's, that's why when God comes walking into the garden, all of a sudden they run and hide. They, there's something that has separated them from God. This, this union with God, and it causes them to, to leave this garden. And really that garden is almost like the, the heaven uh, on earth kind of place. And so you have this place where heaven and earth meet, and now all of a sudden they are separated from that place where heaven and earth meet. That perfect communion that they once had is, is, is gone. And so I, I think about this, and I think, man, we have a God who wants to be in relationship with us and when we get to this when we continue to walk through the stories of scripture you get this garden of eden uh you get all this stuff but then you then you continue forward and, and you have the ark right this ark it becomes a place where god meets with humanity there and then you get uh you get god meeting with abraham and uh and god meeting at, in this burning bush there's these moments where god is like i want to be with you i want to be with humanity he continues to fuse himself to them and and he fuses himself to a people group to israel and he he does this over and over, and he's trying to re reconnect, offer communion with humanity again. And so we get a tabernacle where God's presence comes and dwells tangibly. And then we get a temple where it is stationed in a land where God says he promises to dwell, right? And, and we see this happen over and over. God continually saying, I'm going to cre com create communion. And over and over and over, we get the false story where again and again, humans continue to pull away, break away, break away. And, and where God is offering communion, humans continue to turn away. And then we get to this, this, in the beginning was the word, and word was with God, and word was God, you know, and it becomes, and he becomes flesh. And he dwells among us, and that word for dwells is like tabernacle. He tabernacled among us. He became a living place of communion for you and me. And, and I think about that, like you think about God didn't, God didn't just come and reveal himself like he did to Abraham. He didn't just come and reveal himself like he did to Moses. He united himself to humanity in a way that had never been done before. And this is something that our religion offers that I don't see anywhere else. A unity between divinity and humanity that is so close, where God is saying, if you guys aren't going to do it right, I will make a connection between humanity and divinity myself. I will commune with myself as a human in order to, to bridge this gap. And Christ becomes the constant dwelling place for humans to come and commune with God. That's what he's offering in, in communion. But honestly, when I share this part of the gospel, when I start to talk about, you know, Genesis 3 and I work my way through the Bible, you may be listening to it and you may be like, yeah, I love this. This is good stuff. Like you're drawing out these little pieces of the Bible. But I'll be honest, when I share the gospel with other people, 
who are not Christians, don't really have any interest in it. It just sounds like I'm like sharing some really interesting, weird mythology, right? And sometimes you get to this point, you're like, and then he became a human, and then he's like, but he's 100% God, and he's 100% human, and I, I swear, like, it's crazy. And they're like, yeah, okay, yeah, and there's flying unicorns, right? And, and let me give you the backstory to my God, Zeus, and blah, blah, blah. you know, like, it can be difficult because sometimes I feel like as I'm, I'm like swept up in this story, and to me it's absolutely beautiful, but for people who didn't grow up in the church or who didn't study, haven't spent their lives like studying scripture, it may just sound like another old myth that's like, that sounds interesting, but I don't know what that has to do with me. I don't know how, like, and so maybe this, this story, this idea of communion is more meaningful for you, but I, I do believe that that story points us to a reality that all humanity has always craved to be in connection with God. I mean, that's, I mean, you know, thousands of years, God, you know, humans have, const- have always had different gods. They've had a way to make sense of this world because they want to connect with something beyond themselves. So that's always been there. But we, we have, you know, now we have in, you know, postmodernism, there's come this t- place where they're like, well, like science kind of explains a lot of these things. We don't have to worry about things beyond us. Like one day th- it's going to explain it all. And, it, and the reality is that like I, if I need to be connected to any truth or meaning, all that matters is like I'm connected to the truth and meaning I create because that's really all we can have, you know. And so in postmodernism, it's like they are still meeting the need to connect to something beyond themselves. But it's like to make up meaning for themselves. It's like I need to understand that things there's something, you know, there's something true and tangible and real. And so uh, in in being able to identify in themselves meaning that gives them the ability to do that a little bit. Maybe they think of it as something bigger because they see it as a social construct. So we're working together to create meaning. So it's beyond me. And so there's something satisfying about it. And I think that's because it points us to that reality, that that craving that we all have to have something beyond ourselves. And even more than that, even the atheist who is uh, who, you know, looks out at the, you know, at the vast expanse and sees the skies and, you know, studies, uh, you know, the the heavens and the earth and. Comes to these moments of awe when or when they are when someone's looking at a piece of art or listening to some sort of music and it moves them, they're in touch with beauty and truth and goodness and it hits a part of their soul that they cannot quite comprehend, but it satisfies in a way that, that they have been craving. And I think we all have this deep down inside of us. And so it's easy for me as a Christian to be like, look, here's my narrative and here's my story. And it, it makes sense of everything for me. But maybe, you know, for others, like the reality is they crave that communion. They just don't understand what it is. And they get tastes of communion with God when they do look at beauty and truth and goodness. And I think us as Christians can lose that because we think of ourselves as like connecting with the divine, right? We're like, oh, man, I, you know, I just need to get down on my knees and worship. And, and if I just spend some time in worship, I'll, I'll be able to connect with the divine. When in reality, when was the last time you took time to look at the beauty of this world and communion with God through that, right? Like, it's interesting because we, we lose the other side of it because we think we have something so much better when God is like, I give myself to you in all truth and beauty and goodness, and I want you to connect with me in the ways I give myself. And so, but we're talking about the incarnation, so we'll, I'll, I digress on that. We're, we're, this reality, though, that God became human to dwell with us and among us and to invite us to dwell with him, that is... There's nothing like it. 
Um, I was I've been listening to this uh, this book uh, and th- this uh, this lady is talking about Freud and and just the idea that we all have this subconscious desire to return to our mothers. And I, I think that's a real as an, as an, it's an interesting concept. I like I don't think there's like I don't think it's like horribly off. I don't know. I mean I see I see a need to connect back to that that being that we came from, right? Like there's something about like your connection with mom that's just different. I don't know. Um this, this connection, if you m- imagine it, whether you're Christian or not Christian or whatever, I think we all come from a greater being, a higher being, and we all crave to be returned to that being, which I see in, a, uh, you know, St. Uh, Augustine or Augustine, depending on whether you're following the Latin or not. Um, he, says, uh, he says, our heart is restless until it rests in you. There's this idea that we've been separated until you get back to that place of unity, of communion with God. You're going to crave it oneness with god you're going to crave that and it's only satisfied in him and so you know whether you know whether or not you know you a person has fully accepted christianity or whatever there is a craving for that and god meets that in the incarnation because of the incarnation we are united with the god we are created for and invited to be in christ as he is in the father and as we partake in communion every week, uh, we are reminded that we have been invited back into the garden to meet face-to-face with God, to dine with him, to be with him. But this unity and this communion is just one gift that I believe comes from the incarnation. Another gift we receive through the incarnation is the gift of compassion, the gift of compassion. Uh, the prophet Isaiah gives us a look into this compassion through what happens in the incarnation. Isaiah 53, verses 3 and 4 says this. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sickness. He carried our pains but we, in turn, regarded him stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. God, in the incarnation, experienced suffering. He experienced sickness. He experienced rejection, and he experienced hatred. And furthermore, we know that he experienced loss and grief and sadness and even death himself. He had a human body with the same chemicals and hormones and enzymes that are released that, that affect the way we feel. God felt what you feel. And there's something so valuable about this because oftentimes I think we get so stuck on, like we focus so much on the, the death and resurrection of Christ because that's like our salvation, but we miss the value of the incarnation and what's happening through his connection to humanity. When I first started uh, chaplain work uh, in the hospital, I assumed that my main job was going to be uh, to pray with people, uh, pray with people, help resolve some spiritual crises here or there, you know, uh, whatever I could do to be there for people in that way. And I quickly learned that our ministry is not one that really resolves much of anything. I'm not there to fix problems. That's not my job. I'm often not the one who even gets to see any resolution at all. I'm there to offer the ministry of presence, the ministry of presence. Now, I remember when I first heard about this idea of the ministry of presence, um, I thought, well, what 
good does that do? So I'm there <laughs> just to be there. You know, they, sometimes they call it holy lingering uh, in, our, in our program because oftentimes that's what it feels like when you're sitting in a room and you're just like, people are weeping and, and, and you're just like, yeah, I know. You know, like, I don't know what to say here. I'm just going to stand in the background. Um, but this idea of being present, what is the ministry of presence? I didn't get it. I thought, yeah, who cares if someone's present while I'm suffering? I'm still suffering. Fix the problem, right? I want someone who can fix it. I, I want uh, someone who can take away my suffering. At the hospital, I can't take away any of that. That's not my job. That's the medical professional's job. But what I can do is be present. Not just be there, but, but actually, truly be present to bear witness to their suffering. I'm able to help them articulate their feelings of sadness and fear and grief and anxiety. I'm there to listen to them as they share about these things and, and then reflect them back to them so that they know that some other being understands where they're at. I'm there to stand next to a mother as she watches her unconscious baby receive chest compressions for an hour while medical staff is frantically running around. I'm, I'm there to help a scared dad, uh, you know, sit with him, to just to be present with him, to be a non-anxious presence. I'm there to kneel down next to a mom who is down on the ground praying and bargaining with God just to pray next to her. I'm there to be there for this to be there for the, the parent who is just pouring out tears over their lifeless child with no hope of return. You see, in the ministry of presence, I offer something that medical professionals can't offer. I see their suffering, and I respond to their suffering. That's the need, the, the need that I'm meeting that's the ministry of presence, to be able to offer compassion in that way. Every other medical professional has to be focused on that baby, has to be focused on that, that parent, has to be fo or whatever. They have to be focused on the patient. I am there to focus on what's going on inside of this individual that no one can see and to give it a name and to say, I see what's going on. This is hard. This is what compassion looks like, to be seen and to share and to, to say, I, to, to let them know you see it. Yeah, I think just being able to be present for that stuff, that, that is ministry in itself. Isn't this, this why we all want, you know, mom, when we're all little kids, we all want mommy to kiss our owie, right? That kiss is not going to do a thing, you know? It's not going to fix anything, little scrape or bruise. It's not going to fix it. It's going to heal in time on its own. But when mommy kisses it, she says, I see your suffering. I see your sadness. I see your pain. And that's what this kiss is for. I'm here to offer compassion for that. That's what we all crave. We want our suffering to be seen. Because we have this feeling of disconnection and loneliness when others don't recognize our pain. There is a reality that many of us suffer silently. There's so much unseen suffering in this world. Right now, there's many people, there are people all over the world 
who are suffering silently, whether it's because of isolation brought on by an abuser or it's because of their own depression keeping them internal. They won't share with anybody. This is the beauty of the incarnation, though. We have a God who sees your suffering and cares so deeply that he becomes a human to experience suffering himself. And when we see him on the cross, we see a God who says, I see you, I love you, I see your pain, I see your shame, I see your grief, I see your sorrow, and I'm taking it myself. That's what we have in the incarnation. A God who experiences all of these things, and he says, I see you. There is no unseen suffering. We all have a God who can kiss that wound. And let me say this. If God came and died on a cross and fixed our salvation issue, but never attended, attended to the suffering that existed along the way, he didn't redeem all things. If that suffering in the past remains, just because, just because things are better now, that doesn't mean the trauma of my past is healed. Many of you know this when you go through difficult situations and, and it's like, you know, it finally comes to an end and it's over and things are better now. The trauma of the past still haunts your present. I spent, uh, you know, I used to hate it. I used to hate it uh, when people would talk about, you know, you still have the memory of your loved ones who passed away. I'd be like, yeah, but it makes me sad and I don't want to think about that. I don't that that hurts still. Now I'm just bringing that pain back into my present. I don't want that. I want to keep it back there because it hurts. And I realized, like, I hadn't truly grieved them. And it's not, man, y'all think about, y'all remember uh, in, in uh, Inside Out? It's not until sadness comes along to give you space to heal, like, to, to attend to that wound and to that suffering that, that it truly heals and you can move on. And then you can enjoy their present, their, their memories in the present. If the suffering in the past is not dealt with with compassion, then it remains unhealed. And so Christ comes not just to fix your future, but to heal your past as well. All the trauma that has been there all along the way, he's there to say, I see it. I love you. It didn't go unnoticed. I'm here for you. So in the incarnation, we get communion and the gift of compassion, but it also offers the gift of calling. The gift of calling. Uh, Philippians 2, 5 through 8 says this. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploit exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the, likely, uh, the likeness of huma humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on the cross. This is where you know Paul is saying, take this mind on you that was in Christ. We begin to see that God didn't just become a human to fix the problem, right? God became a human to show us how to live as humans as well. What it looks like to truly live out human, our human calling. 
And that hymn of praise uh, ends with Christ being lifted up with the name above every other name, right? Like all of a sudden, you know, him living out that calling, God honors and glory, like says, you know, this is what this is what it truly is supposed to look like. This is what our all of our lives are supposed to look like. We're all called to live in this way where we come and we we leave our places of power. We leave our places of comfort and we enter into those places of solidarity with the poor and the powerless and the oppressed. And we care for them as well. That is our human calling to live as Christ lived, to 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 do those things that Christ did. To be able to offer communion and compassion to others as well. When we begin to see what Christ did in the incarnation, we can begin to see like this is what humans were meant to do. I mean, and Ephesians 2.15 talks about um, this idea of the law being abolished and then kind of breaking down these walls of barriers between us versus them. God is saying, like, hey, we're, we're in, in the incarnation. Now we have this unity of humanity. It's not just union between me and God. It's union between me and you. Now, all of our shame, all of our fear, all of the things that may separate us, or all of us as a collective community looking out at others going like we're scared of that, we're afraid of that, we're ashamed of our whatever. We can learn to, to break down these walls, these barriers, and bring communion among humanity as well. Because it wasn't just God and, and human that, were that, that was broken in communion, but the human-human the divide happened. Adam and Eve hid from each other. The very, the, very um, peop the people who were actually one body at one time, right? Like... Adam and Eve were one, and then all of a sudden God creates two out of this one being. Now are afraid to even show their bodies to one another. Strange that to, to imagine, like, literally Eve in the story, Eve is coming from Adam, and now she can't even reveal her body to Adam, and Adam can't do the same to her. They're ashamed and they're afraid, and this is what, this is what sin does. This is what causes in us this lack of communion, this brokenness in humanity as, as much as it is between us and divinity. But also in Christ, we see him come. He cultivates life and he unifies all things. And, and he, this is, we begin to see this human calling lived out. In the biblical story, we saw those two humans and, um, and the incarnation Christ reminds us of our calling to make it possible to once again live it out as, as unified people. Christ comes and he invites people. It, the wording that he uses, right, the, the uh, you know, come and, you know, abide in me. Like there's this like inness with him. And when he calls his disciples, he says he calls them to be with him and to send them out. So there's a sense of withness with Christ that we're called to. And I think he invites us to do the same thing. We, I believe we are supposed to do this to each other as well, to invite others in to be part of who we are, to connect and say we're part of one another. You and I are in Christ, right? We are all one in Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, you know, uh, slave nor free, male nor female. Like that's, we are all one in Christ. Something happens that unifies us all. And Christ comes, he, he's cultivating life, he's bringing, uh, you know, life into dead places, order out of chaos, doing what he did in creation here on this earth as he lives out his human calling. And he's like, look, this is what we can do together. Like, this is what you were called to do as well. And Philippians 2 shows us that uh, we are to imitate this incarnational way of life. We are to lay down this power, this privilege. And we're supposed to partner with this God. 
to bring life. So I don't think it's, it really comes as a surprise that this is our calling, you know. Um, I think it's written on our hearts. This is why it doesn't matter what you believe about a God or not. Like, there's something about caring for the oppressed and the poor that, like, rings true in you that you go, I, I need to do that. And when things get left undone, you feel like, ah, I, sh- I should have done something. Christian or not, people are doing that. And, and I think it's, it's interesting, you know, uh, people, I, I've met some people along the way. Um, I met a lady not too long ago, and she was talking about the state of this world. She was so terrified about it. She said, you know, this is bad. I mean, there's so many atheists right now. Um, I'm just worried about what's going to happen to our world, you know. And I was talking with her, and I was kind of like, she's, she's like, she just thinks that these atheists are like demons, you know. Um, uh, and I'm, I'm thinking, you know, these are people God loves. Yeah, I, I don't know. What the pro- you know, but I explained to her, I was like, you know, I, have, I, I spend time ministering to atheists in the hospital all the time. And the lady legitimately looked at me and said, there's atheists in the hospital? And I was like, yes. I think she, was conf- she comes from a, an area where she really doesn't know any atheists, and she was just happened to be there for uh, her daughter. Um, she was so thrown off. I think she would have been even more blown away if I had explained to her that uh, not now, but in the past there's been um, – there's been uh, some chaplains who are atheists. And maybe you're now kind of blown away as well. Like, what the heck are you talking about? Um, the ministry of presence is, is a big thing, and you don't have to be a Christian to offer it to people. But it's interesting that someone who's not a Christian, someone who doesn't believe in any God at all, has a desire to offer that to somebody tells me that this is something deep down inside all of us that wants to care for others. That says that, like, I'm not the only human out there, that other people matter. This is why we have nurses and doctors and, you know, and uh, teachers and all, you know, people in working at nonprofit, you know, places that are not Christians, that are not, you know, they're just, they just want to care for, make a difference in this world. They want to care for others. It's something deep down inside us that God has placed in each and every one of us, whether whatever you believe. It's part of our human calling, and we can sense it. And the beautiful thing about the incarnation is that it truly gives us a purpose. It helps us to connect and say, I can know for sure this is what God is calling me to, because the God that was transcendent and seemed impossible to reach became tangible and showed me how to live. Show me what it looks like to offer kindness and compassion. That's what, that's what he was doing in the incarnation. You know, I, I just, this is the, w- the way that, that God works. And I just think about how much it means, it means so much to me. I, I think about the fact that, you know, Christ says, you know, and as much as you've done for the least of these, you've done unto me. Like, there's this, like, reality that Christ is present in the suffering. Christ is present in the suffering, in the brokenness of this world, still. And we can, we have an opportunity to go and meet with him in those places. He, I mean, he promises himself in three places. He says, where two or more are gathered, there I am in their midst. He says, uh, take this bread and eat. This is my body given for you. There's a, there's a representation of his, his 
actual like presence there. Um, and then he says, you know, as much you've done for the least of these, you've done unto me. There's a, a reality that Christ is present there it, with the oppressed, with the poor, with the powerless. He's there with them already, and we get to join in ministry with him. I, th- I even think about, like, I know, so we are not, uh, there, some churches believe that this stuff becomes the actual body of Christ. It's called transubstantiation, you know, um, becomes the actual blood of Christ. Uh, we don't believe that. But we do believe that Christ is present here with us in, the, in our midst. And I think this gives us a, a tangible experience of him. Like, we preach the word, we listen to the word, we sing the word, and we even eat the word. You know, like, that's the, that's the idea behind it. It's, it's, it's symbolic, but we can recognize that Christ's presence is here in the midst of this. And it's a very special way. And in the same way as we, as we experience Christ in a very special way here at this table, we experience Christ in a very special way when we care for those who are suffering. We recognize how God has given us a calling as human, humanity, as humans, to, to go and partner and in solidarity with the poor and the oppressed. I'm going to go ahead and close uh, here in a, just a second, but uh, the incarnation of Christ gives humanity communion with God, compassion for all suffering, and a calling for our lives. And in the incarnation, the king left his palace and his glory to visit us in this dark and dreary place. He ate the coarse food we eat, and he brought gladness to our hearts. He gave us the gift of himself. I hope that during this Christmas season, we all see uh, what Christ has done to connect with us and to offer us compassion and that we understand our calling this brings about. I hope that you begin to offer connection and compassion to the world around you as well during this season. And after the season, I'm going to go ahead and pray, close in prayer, and then uh, we'll continue uh, in our communion and time of singing. God, we thank you for your presence. That you came and you experienced our humanity, you experienced suffering, you experienced brokenness, you experienced death. To give us life to take away our suffering, to heal those broken areas, the places of trauma. God, and, and even to offer us true relationship with you and to invite us to be with you. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you for becoming human so that we might know you more intimately. In Jesus' name, amen.